Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball, part five, the final part of our free agency series. We'll be going through the top 10 somewhat remaining free agents. There's one that's no longer there, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, these are the big names still left on the board. So we'll be going through the top 10 of that list on this show. I'm your host, Jason Kelly. I'm here with Micah Storms, and I'm here with Terry Cushman. So guys, let's dive into these final 10 that are remaining. And we're going to start with a name that probably a lot of people have not heard about. Uh, it's another Japanese pitcher. His name is Shota Imanaga, 30 years old, um, not exactly a, a hard thrower and not exactly another Yamamoto. He's, he's a little bit uh, a tier below what Yamamoto will be, but another guy who I think teams could be intrigued by. We saw Kodai Senga get signed last season by the Mets, so could be another guy in that ballpark. And actually, uh, they have him projected to get a five-year deal worth $85 million. So, Micah, I will start with you. What are your thoughts on Shota Imanaga? It's difficult to to really decide on these Japanese pitchers. Obviously, Yamamoto, you know, he comes with such praise and the, obviously the age and just the stuff. Um, you know, I feel like teams have a pretty good idea of the type of pitcher they're going to get with him. But if you go back to uh, when Kodai Senga was um, posted, no one really knew exactly how he was going to to transfer to the to American baseball. But uh, it did take him some time initially. His first month or two where it was a little rough. Um, he also didn't pitch every five days very often um, because they don't do that over in the Japanese league. So um, with with this guy, I, I don't know. I mean, his numbers are intriguing. Um, he's had low ERAs all the time. The home run ball is probably, um, if you're looking at his baseball reference page, that's the, the statistic that is concerning. He He's pretty much given up 18, 14, 16, 18, 19, 17 home runs. So that's the number that would be concerning, especially pitching inside Fenway Park. If you're a left-hander and you have to pitch inside, but if you miss, where does that ball usually go at Fenway Park against a right-handed hitter? It usually goes over the monster. So I'm not saying I would be bummed if the Red Sox signed him. I would be bummed if he was – considered their big fish get i would not want that because it's just the uncertainty i feel like you could probably make up more scenarios in your head of this just going bad than you could where he ends up being you know a front of the rotation type arm or even just a, a really good number three um i just i don't know a 30 year old left-hander who doesn't throw that hard um, I don't think his strikeout numbers are anything crazy. Uh, well, uh, 9.4 in his career, so maybe that translates to the big leagues. I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. If they got Yamamoto and this guy, I think I'd be like, well, you know, let's see. Let's see what happens. But this guy and someone, you know, a little less than than him, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to say no, I'm out on this guy, but – I could see teams being interested in him for sure. Terry. So a, a couple of things that jump out at me uh, real quick is he did have a 10.6 strikeout per nine last year. That's pretty high. That would be above uh, league average and only 
four walks per nine. So good control doesn't, you know, give up a lot of free passes. But having said that, I mean, there's better pitchers out there that we're a lot more familiar with that probably aren't quite as big of a risk. Usually a 30-year-old Japanese pitcher is going to have a lot more mileage on his arm and shoulder than, you know, a 30 year old American pitcher. So, um, you know, he, he probably would be a lot more attractive to a smaller to mid market team. You know, the Cincinnati Reds would, you know, potentially be a good fit. Um, maybe the Yankees as well, actually, because they've just got so much money committed to Cole and Rodon, maybe he's just a guy they can kind of sneak in there and, and maybe get a little bit uh, decent production out of. But I don't think he's a good fit for the Red Sox. We know where the bar is and who we want. And we'll get to that later on in the show. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, this guy sounds like he's more geared towards a mid-market kind of team. I could see you know, even maybe a step, be, uh, you know, a little bit of a step beyond that, but like Cubs, Giants, teams like that, I think is where he'll probably end up. Um, I hate to call him a consolation prize, but that's kind of what he feels like to, you know, the Otani and Yamamoto sweepstakes is that teams that lose out on those guys, they're going to fall back and say, well, at least we got the second best Japanese pitcher on the market. Um, so I, I feel like that's probably where he'll end up. I think he does sound intriguing. I, I don't, I don't hate uh, the makeup of him. Um, he is 30 years old. So, you know, I, I always have a little bit of a hesitation handing out contracts to 30 plus year old starting pitchers, but um, I'd be intrigued. But again, if he's the big prize for this offseason for the Red Sox, that's not good enough. Like you guys both said, the bar is set much higher. Um, so I would like to think that we won't have to worry about where Imanaga ends up because he shouldn't end up in Boston because we should get some bigger fish along the way. So, uh, like I said, I could see Cubs, Giants, teams like that being in on him, but I don't think he's a great fit for what the Red Sox should be and I think are trying to do this offseason. So with that, we'll move forward to number nine on the list, another starting pitcher who's going to garner a lot of attention. It's Sonny Gray coming off of one of his best, if not his best, season in the big leagues, finished second in the Cy Young for the American League voting, 32 starts, had an ERA under three, um, just really dominated out there in Minnesota. Um, they are projecting Sonny Gray to get a four-year, $90 million contract. Terry, what are your thoughts on Sonny Gray? I'm super conflicted when it comes to Gray. Um Historically, he hasn't pitched well in big markets. He, he was with the Yankees for a year, year and a half. I think they traded him or just kind of hit him somewhere for the rest of whatever season it was. But he just got absolutely destroyed. Couldn't figure it out. And, you know, once things started snowballing, it just the snowball got bigger and bigger and uh, quite frankly turned into an avalanche. So, you know... I'd be a little nervous. His lifetime numbers at Yankee Stadium, he's got a 6.06 ERA. 
at Fenway Park. He's got a 6.84 ERA, so hasn't pitched well there. He did have at least one uh, really good start this year uh, when the Twins came to Fenway. And um, I, I don't know if he... Well, that actually would have been the only series he, he pitched here. But um, so, you know, it, it's just... Has he figured it out? Is that where he is in his career? Has he figured it out? And he's just a, a much better, more refined pitcher. Uh, early in his career, he was, you know, his sinker ball made him such a great pitcher. But that's a tough pitch to to be consistent with when it comes to commanding it. I mean, we saw it with Rick Porcello. Some years he'd be on, some years not so much. And so, again, I'm super conflicted. If, if you want the glass half full, he's got great numbers at Tropicana Field, 2.97 ERA. Uh, in Toronto, he's even better, a 2.70 ERA. And which one am I missing? Camden Yards. Let's see. Where is Camden? Uh, let's see. A 2.64 ERA. So he does have pretty decent numbers in all but a couple uh, ALEs parts. But the problem is, is one of the ones he's got bad numbers in is the one he's going to have to pitch in for half his start. So I don't know. Um, we have Andrew Bailey here. So, you know, he's he's got nothing but high praise. He was the most sought after uh, pitching coach uh, this winter. So many teams wanted to add him. And um, so perhaps he can uh address all the things I'm concerned about. Micah, how about you? I, mean, I think four and ninety is definitely gonna be the the right range for his services. Um I just don't like the four years for the Red Sox because he's thirty four years old. Um he has fifteen hundred innings on his arm and he's only five foot ten. Not to say that short guys can't you know, carry a um, you know a lot of innings over their career, but what is he going to look like at the age of 36, 37? That, that would be my biggest concern because if it was a two-year deal, I'd say, you know what, give it to him because I think he still is going to be a very productive pitcher for the next two years. But I, I think the four years, you know, when the fastball drops a little bit, you know, how effective is he really going to be? Um, you know, Terry mentioned the the big market question, I mean, he was only in New York for a season and a half, and then he's been in a small market every other year of his career. Um, so I don't know if that's enough to gauge off, you know, if he can't handle the pressure of, you know, a big market. But obviously the results weren't great. Um, I think with with Gray, the home run ball is not has not been an issue. He gave up 0.4 home runs per nine innings last year. So if you're translating Fenway Park, I mean, that should that should work really well. He also pitched in Cincinnati, and the home run ball wasn't a huge factor for him. So, you know, that's one of the most hitter friendly ballparks. I would say no to Gray, but if he was the second pitcher of the Red Sox. Um, targeted and was able to to get i would be pretty pumped about that but if he was pitcher number one uh i would think the offseason went really really bad because i don't think he is a front of the rotation type arm even though he was second in the cy young um projecting forward i just don't see it with with gray and and the red sox 
Sonny Gray is a really tough one to figure out because um, you look at his age, he's 34. Um, you know, Terry, you mentioned this, the living by the sinker ball. That can be tough, you know, once you try to do it for a long time. The contract I don't hate, though. Four over 90 wouldn't piss me off as much as some other bad deals might. Um, and I think, Mike, you make a point that, like, if he's the second guy they pick up, if it's, you know, if their free agent acquisitions or their starting pitching acquisitions are Yamamoto, Sonny Gray, and then maybe one other smaller deal to kind of round out your rotation, I don't hate that. It's not the worst thing in the world. So I would I would be okay with Sonny Gray in Boston, but only as the second or third guy they get. Because I agree, if he's the big prize of your offseason, you failed again. Like that's it. He cannot be the only pitcher that you go out and get because mostly just because of the age and, you know, the big market thing is, is a legitimate question. I mean, he really did struggle during his brief time there in New York. It also feels like, you know, he struggles in small ballparks or hitter-friendly parks because his final year in Cincinnati wasn't great. He didn't do well in New York, which is a hitter-friendly park. And his Fenway numbers aren't great, um, but he had success in Oakland, which is a huge ballpark. He had success in Minnesota, which is a bigger ballpark. So I would worry about him being in a small park like Fenway for half of his starts. But again, if he's second, third guy off the board that you take and he's just there to kind of be a number three, I'm okay with that. Or even a number two, like whatever you project him to be, but I would be okay with it. I, I don't think I would lose my mind, especially if that's the deal. Four over 90, that's, you know, you're, you're not going to be kicking yourself if it doesn't work out for very long, at least. And I feel like pitcher contracts, if they don't work out, are easier to get out of in a way because there's always some team that goes, bring him here, we can fix him. And you can sign, you know, you kind of get out of it that way. The Red Sox have had problems with hitter contracts not working out, like, the Carl Crawfords, the Pablo Sandoval's, because once a hitter kind of goes, a lot of hitting coaches are like, yeah, we don't know what's wrong with him. We can't fix him. Pablo Sandoval, there was basically no fixing. So I wouldn't mind taking a shot on Sonny Gray, even with his age in that contract. I, again, can't be the number one, but if he's just there as, as part of, you know, what you got as a bundle, then yeah, I'm okay with him being part of that bundle. So you did kind of touch on something, um, you know, if he gets here and, and it's not going well after a year, he would he would be tradable if he's healthy. Um, you know, another mid-market team would probably take on that deal, which um, what would 490 be? Uh, looks like 22 and a half a year so. That would be they'd be on the hook for sixty seven and a half, um, you know, after just one year. Um, just a quick glance over at his um, postseason numbers because that's something I do like to look at. Um, he hasn't been terrible, surprisingly. Um, in twenty thirteen in the ALDS, this was uh, you know with Oakland. I think that might have been the first. That might have been his rookie year. Uh, 13 innings pitched, uh, only gave up three earned runs. Pretty good. Um, did not pitch, uh, in the next, uh, oh, actually this was 2017. So that was the wild card game. He didn't pitch in that one. 
2017, he made two postseason starts. One, he had a pretty quick hook against the Cleveland Indians at the time. Uh, three and one third innings, gave up three runs, got yanked pretty quick. Here's the surprising one. He did make a postseason start uh, that next round as well. And th- these are with the Yankees, actually. So that start against Cleveland just a second ago with the Yankees. And then against the Houston Astros in the ALCS, five innings pitched, uh, just one earned run. <laughs> so he found a way to pitch okay in the postseason. Uh, five scoreless innings uh, this year against the Toronto Blue Jays. And then he did have his worst postseason start uh, the next round against the Astros. Uh, four innings uh, and then four earned runs. So not terrible numbers in the postseason. If you if he could just be Derek Lowe, you're good. So we'll see. Uh, like you guys, if he's the number two, I'll cross my fingers and hope for the best. Um, I do like him better than at least one other pitcher we're going to talk about uh, later on. So we'll see. Yeah, he's he's going to be an intriguing case for sure. So moving forward, we're going to move to the biggest bullpen arm left on the free agent market now, and that is left-hander Josh Hader. Uh, he is projected to get six years, $110 million. Micah, your thoughts on Josh Hader? That's an insane contract. Uh, you know, when Edwin uh, Diaz signed his his contract, obviously you have to throw out the the injury during the World Baseball Classic, but he could not have had a better season leading up to um, a contract year. And I would say the same thing for Hader because he was just outstanding last year, um, just a 1.28 ERA. I mean, that's just insane in 61 games. But – I have to look at 2022 because with Milwaukee and San Diego, he had a 5.22 ERA. So obviously he can strike people out. That's his biggest skill set. Last year he struck out um, a crazy 13.6 batters per nine. That's just through the roof. But the home run ball was a problem in 2022, and it's what – who is he? Is he the lights out 1.28 ERA guy or is he somewhere in the middle? Because I don't think he's as bad as he was in 2022. But if you're paying somebody that much money to close ball games out, he better be the the guy with a sub two ERA. Obviously, I don't think he's a fit for Boston because they have a lot of money in that bullpen. And there's a lot of options, at least right now, especially if Whitlock and Hauker in the pen. But I just don't know if I see somebody giving him that much. Um, I see on MLB trade rumors, they all project the Rangers to get him, which I could see that definitely being a fit, but that's a lot of money for, for a guy who <laughs> closes ball games out and makes, you know, 60 appearances a year. I, I, I don't know. That's a crazy contract. Terry, what do you think? I'm not a fan of, giving contracts of that length to to 30-year-old relievers. I mean, we dodged a bullet with Kimbrell. I mean, he was just barely hanging on towards the end there, and he has found ways to still be effective, you know, in his later years. 
Uh, he did seem to flame out this year uh, in the postseason, um, you know, cost the Phillies at least one or two games. But um, I just feel like what's he going to be when velocity starts coming off that fastball? I just had he been like in our system all along, had he been like a Red Sox guy all along, I probably would have tried. I, I might have given him that six-year deal at age 27 just to keep him here. Uh, but I just don't. It's not a risk I'm willing to take. Unless you have Mariano Rivera or even Trevor Hoffman, someone like that, I see no reason why any team should give long-term contracts to closers. The Red Sox, these past 20-plus years, they've won four World Series. They had four different closers for each one. So it's just you don't have to you don't have to give out five, six-year deals to closers. I love what they did this, you know, two years ago, giving Jansen a two-year deal. Just keep doing that. Find the next best guy, give him a, a short-term deal, and then cycle them out. You you don't need to hand out these ridiculous, you know, six years 110. For a guy who, as you pointed out, Micah, in 2022 was really all over the place. He was kind of a mess. And he's lucky he put it all back together. And he's also lucky that Edwin Diaz completely flipped the market for closers with with his deal. But I'm not willing to give Josh Hader that money. It doesn't make sense for the Red Sox to do it. They've got a closer already. Um, It would kind of look weird to bring in Josh Hader with Jansen and that whole bullpen still there. They really don't need that much bullpen help, if any at all. So um, definitely not a fit for here. Some stupid team is going to give him that deal, though. Some team out there is going to pay him six years over 110, and you know that's going to be their their big prize, and they're going to be happy about it. And he's going to blow like six or seven saves, and everyone's going to go, really? We're paying this guy how much? So I just don't think closers, again, unless you've got like the next Mariano Rivera, which Josh Hader is not, I, I see no reason to be giving out, you know, five, six-year, seven-year deals to closers. I, I much prefer just recycle every couple of years, you know, do it that way. I wouldn't put it past Steve Cohen to try to create a Super Bowl pen, <laughs> you know, have Diaz, Hater, something crazy. But the Texas Rangers do sound like the surefire slam dunk choice. Um, you know, Cashman could do something crazy. He hasn't really had a stalwart type guy at the back of his pen since Chapman left. And the last year or two of him wasn't good anyway. I mean, he was used to Rivera all those years, nearly 20 years. He was the closer for the Yankees. And then Chapman came in very, Oh, actually they had Andrew Miller uh, and then Chapman. So they're, they're used to having a marquee guy. And like I said, uh, one or two shows ago, um, Brian Cashman's the most desperate GM in Major League Baseball and he really needs to flip the narrative on how his fan base sees him and I I think situations like he's in could lead to erratic moves and I I think a guy like Hayter would be an erratic move um, for the Yankees despite the fact they do need a closer I mean they need they need tons of offense I mean, Aaron Judge, he's probably going to be hurt for a month or two. I, I just think that's the, the road he's headed down. And, you know, so they, they've got all kinds of 
stuff they need to address. It's interesting you bring up the Yankees because I really didn't think of them as a, a potential fit, but with all of the offensive issues they have, I wonder if Cashman could just be like, well, you know what? I don't really care. We have some boppers. Hopefully the young kids come up and produce, but I'm going to build a super pen like we've had in years past. Maybe they go out and they add a starter and they say, we're going to just play good defense and we're going to pitch and hopefully the offense um, figures it out because typically they have in years past, but not the last couple. Um, But I was thinking if Mariano Rivera was – 28 29 30 years old and he was willing to take a max deal what would what do you think he could get in today's market i mean because i mean he's the greatest closer i've ever seen i mean he like diaz and hater they're great but they're nowhere near where he was what i mean what kind of deal would he get he could potentially have become the first 200 million dollar relief pitcher in baseball oh i don't know 10 over 200 yankees would have done it I mean, that sounds, I mean, you just never know how much, you know, time these guys are going to pitch. And, and Mariano was a freak. He threw one pitch his whole career. I just want to see what year was his age, uh, 28 season. So here we go. That would have been, (laughs) geez, his age 28 season. What year do you think that was? (laughs) Oh, 97? Close, 98. So, and that that was uh, the second World Series and that they had won, and the, but the first of three straight. Um, yeah, I, I mean, could you have foreseen that he was going to pitch until age 43 in 2013? <laughs> Probably I, not. Yeah. No, yeah. I just, so I, I don't know. I think this hater deal is nuts as it is. It's it's it'll be the biggest ever. I think Diaz is the previous high, right? Yeah. Yep. So this will be the biggest ever. If it was a four year deal, I, I'm probably really motivated. Six years? Oh my goodness! I, I want no part of it. No. Yeah. Six years at that price tag. That's a nightmare. So. Oh, real quick. One of the coolest things I've ever seen, and I hate to admit this, but when. Mariano had his last appearance and the Yankees weren't making the, the playoffs that year. Um, so it, it was the final week of September. Girardi brings him out for one out remaining in the eighth inning, has him pitch two outs in the ninth. And then, you know, cause he wants him to have the curtain call. And instead of him going out to the mound, he sends out Jeter and Andy Pettit and they took the ball from him and he cried. It was so emotional. And, uh, you know, one of the coolest things ever. And when he came up for the Hall of Fame, I was rooting for him to be the first unanimous um, guy. And go back to 2004 when he, he blew it. I mean, he he single handedly, you know, brought the Red Sox at least into game five. And, you know, the crowd gave him a standing ovation in in 2005 in his first appearance back at Fenway. And uh, he just took it in stride, took his cat off and just waved it to the crowd and said, you know, happy you got your first one at my expense. Yeah, truly a class guy all the way through. So. So with that, we'll move to number seven on 
top 10 list, and that's going to be Matt Chapman, uh, former third baseman for Toronto, and they are projecting him to get six years, $150 million. Terry, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on Matt Chapman. Can he play second base? And the answer is probably no. So, I mean, just not a fit. You know, he's not unless you're going to do something crazy and make Devers your DH every day. Now, I think he's still at least two, two or three years from that. Um, there's no fit for him over at third and, and there's no fit for him at first, you know, where Casas is. And, and you would probably play him at third anyway. I mean, the dude's a gold glove defender, you know, he's got a great glove, but, but let's just say for argument's sake, let's just say we had a spot for him somewhere in the infield. I can't live with the strikeouts. Insanely high strikeout guy. He's got some pop. He's going to run into several over the course of the season, much like uh, Adam Duvall would. But um, I'm just not a not a huge fan uh, of uh, Chapman for uh, a few reasons, but not a fit one way or the other. Micah? Yeah, if you're going to sign Matt Chapman, you're definitely going to just put him at third base every single game because he is that good. And that's part of his value, and that's part of the reason why he's projected to get $150 million is he's a game changer defensively. But if you take away one season, and it was his second season in the big leagues in 2018, he's never hit above 250. And that just kind of drives me nuts. Um, And... If you look at the power numbers, 2021, he hit 27 home runs. 2022, he hit 27 home runs. Last year, he only hit 17. So there was a drop-off in home runs in a contract year, which I didn't realize. I had thought um, he had really started the year off well with his power. Um, I thought he was more than 17 home runs. And then I looked him up, and I'm like, wow, he only had 17. Um I, I don't think he's a $150 million player. He's a good player, but I struggle with players, especially at a premier offensive position. You're paying a good portion of that money because he's such a good defender, and I struggle with that because that position, you need a, an elite offensive player, and obviously the Red Sox, no fit, but somebody is going to give him $130, $140, 150000000 million. There's no question in my mind. I just don't think he's anywhere near that type of player. Yeah, the profile outside of his defense concerns me. Um, the the drop in power this past year definitely concerns me. The strikeouts are not great. The low batting average is not great. Um, I think he's a big reason why that Toronto team underperformed is because they sort of viewed him as a middle-of-the-order bat, and he's not. He, he's more of a six or a seven hitter. Um, and, yeah, his defense at third base is elite. But even elite defense is not worth $150 million. So um, you're right. Someone is going to give it to him, but it makes absolutely zero sense for it to be the Red Sox unless you're basically coming out and saying tomorrow, Rafael Devers is now a full-time DH, um, which I don't think he'd be very happy with. And I don't think that would make a lot of sense to do right now. Granted, his defense was atrocious last year, but I'm sure they're hoping he can figure it out. Um yeah, Chapman just I don't think he's a fit here. I again that that offensive profile really scares me. That that has like shades of just a guy who's gonna hit two fifteen next year with you know under twenty homers. And you know, he'll make up for it with his defense, but 
he's going to get 150 from someone who's going to, I think, uh, quickly regret it. So 2022, he was ranked eighth in strikeouts. Only seven guys struck out more. I'm pulling up 2021. Uh, the only guy in 2021 who struck out more than he did was Joey Gallo. So this is a guy who's routinely high. He actually only had 165 strikeouts this year, which is still relatively high. Trevor Story's probably going to do that for us. So that's another thing to consider. Do you want two guys like that in your lineup? But um, but yeah, the, the year he was second in MLB, 202 strikeouts, and then uh, 170 the next year. That just drives me nuts. I don't want a high strikeout guy. You, you look at why... You know, we were so successful and in, in constantly moving the line this year. I mean, we were at the top of a lot of offensive categories through the month of August. And, you know, Masataki Yoshida, not a huge strikeout guy overall. Justin Turner, not a huge strikeout guy. Alex Verdugo probably strikes out less than anyone else on the roster. And I think Devers' strikeouts were up, but, you know, not astronomical. So, and did I say Justin Turner? I think I did. Um, those are the guys you want to target, you know, when you when you're trying to fill a need. And uh, one guy, uh, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but Jonathan India uh, is is a very hot name right now on Red Sox Twitter. I don't know how I feel about it, um, but you know he doesn't necessarily hit for average, and um, you know defense isn't great either, so. Hoping we stay off of him. I agree with you on India. Yeah, I'm all set there. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts on Chapman? Yeah, Terry, you had said, like, I don't like the strikeouts. If you're striking out that many times, you better be hitting 45, 50 home runs a year. Like, that. that's, to me, that's the bar. Like, if you're going to be an automatic 200 outs because you strike out, you better have incredible power. And 17 home runs doesn't do it for me. But, um, just a name that popped into my uh, my mind when Terry was talking and he got a really big contract. He was a great defender is Jason Hayward that I could see this ending up in a similar way where maybe he has a good year or two in terms of offense, but you're really paying for the glove. And I don't, I don't think it's wise for teams to pay for a really good glove in a player's you know, thirties, because I, obviously the glove's going to probably decline because of age. And then what are you left with? And I, I just, I don't know. I could totally see us looking back at a Matt Chapman deal in a very similar way that we looked back at the Cubs giving Hayward that crazy eight year, 180 or $200 million deal, whatever he got. But I, I feel like it'd be, it could be very similar. Yep, and then he'll he'll struggle, and then he'll end up on the Dodgers, and he'll start playing well again, just like Hayward did, because that's just what the Dodgers do, annoyingly enough. But, but yeah, I agree. It could be very similar to that. Uh, next up on the list, number coming in at number six, a guy who has been linked to the Red Sox for sure and is going to have a lot of suitors. It's Jordan Montgomery. Had a very good year, obviously, with the Rangers after being dealt there. Uh, they are projecting him to get six years, $150 million. Micah, what are your thoughts on Jordan Montgomery? I want. I want a lot. This is a guy that I have stated multiple times. I, I really wanted the Red Sox to target him at the trade deadline. 
Um, I really felt like he was the best pitcher to acquire at the deadline. And in my opinion, he really did turn out to be the best pitcher at the deadline. He was terrific for the Rangers um, to finish the season and in the postseason. Um, I, I, he already had his Tommy John surgery with the Yankees, so I'm not too, too concerned with that. He doesn't throw overly hard. He also doesn't rely on the strikeout, which I think is – he can strike people out. He's got that that crazy curveball, but he doesn't have to strike people out. And I think if you're going to give a guy who's 30 years old – um, a five or six year deal, which I personally would five, I think would be my max. If they sign him for six, I would say, I don't love it, but I really want Jordan Montgomery on the Red Sox. Um, I think as he ages and maybe he loses a tick or two on his fastball, I think he knows how to pitch and I think he will age well because he doesn't rely on velocity. So I'm all on board on Jordan Montgomery. Um, I just think he he's a proven pitcher. I, I truly can't believe the Yankees traded him. I, I That's still mind-boggling because he had a 3.69 ERA that year, and they just got rid of him. And it's somebody who can make 30 starts a year. And the durability of Montgomery is, in my opinion, a reason to go a little bit higher with your price because that ability. And that's something the Red Sox – desperately desperately need in their rotation terry what about you so i'm not quite as motivated as micah is um having said that he would instantly be the best free agent signing since probably nathan avaldi uh after 2018 uh for the red sox i mean um i just i really want a, a pitcher that that strikes out a lot of guys. And like Micah said, not a ton of strikeouts, only seven, excuse me. No, he got traded. Yeah. So a 7.9 strikeout per nine, that's probably, probably about league average, but he's not, he's not gonna go out there and blow people away. And in the AL East and, and then a park like Fenway, I just kind of, you know, and even, you know, Yankee Stadium, you know, on three road trips a year. I just, I I don't know. And and the thing I hate the most that I, I've been harping on the most is I, Jason, I asked you not even three or four weeks ago. I said, what do you think his, his market's going to be? And I think you said oh, about, I don't know, about three years, you know, 45 million, something like that. And I agreed with that. I thought, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's about on par. Then he went nuts in the playoffs, and now you're going to pay close to triple that. You know, 150 would be triple that. And I just don't like paying the playoff premium. I mean, was Nathan Avaldi really a $17 million a year guy when we when we gave him the thank you contract, as Charlie would put it, after 2018? So I just I just hate paying that premium. If you could get him on a four or five year deal, you know, around a hundred or so, uh, that's that's a little bit more appetizing to me. Um, but we're at the point now where you know beggars can't be choosers. We need at least two solid guys, and ultimately he does fit that bill, but he just doesn't quite have the makeup I want, and and you know the premium is is a little up there. And and I'll say this too. 
he looked heavier to me. He looked like he put on a little bit of weight when when he went to Texas compared to his St. Louis and, and Yankees days as well. You know, I, I don't know if, the you know, there'll be consequences with that, you know, as he gets to age 33, 34, you know, some some guys end up with back problems and and whatnot, but but yeah, I and and I was thinking earlier. I'll say this before I pass on to Jason. It, when it comes to Montgomery or Sonny Gray, oh, it's so close to me. It's close. I'm like I might like Sonny a little bit more. I don't know, but you know, this is what it is. I agree with Terry. I think I'm out on Montgomery. If it's going to be six years, one fifty, no, thank you. Uh, I'll let someone else write that check. I because I agree. Like it, it's you're paying that because of recency bias. Make no mistake, if Jordan Montgomery hadn't been traded to the Rangers and had stayed in St. Louis and finished out the year there, he'd be looking at more of like a three- or four-year deal for much less than that. You are paying the premium because he went to a winning team, he pitched well in the playoffs, and he won a World Series. So I just – and I don't think he's a $150 million pitcher at the end of the day. I think he's a good pitcher, and I think that he'll – He'll probably pitch pretty well for whoever does end up signing him. Could could be that he just goes back to the Rangers at this point. But twenty five million for a guy who you know he's been decent throughout his career, but he's not a you know perennial Cy Young guy. He's not a front. I don't consider him to be a front of the rotation kind of arm. I consider him to be like a slightly high end number three. Um, and I'm not willing to pay one hundred and fifty million for that. So. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned it, Terry, like choosing between him and Sonny Gray. Give me that Sonny Gray contract any day of the week, twice on Sunday over the six year 150 that someone's going to give Montgomery. I just, I think Sonny Gray has the better pedigree. He's, you know, he's been more dominant for longer in his career than Montgomery has. I mean, go back and look at Montgomery's careers, like, you know, his sort of trajectory. It's, it took a while for him to really find it. And I just don't trust that he's going to be able to keep it for the, the length of that contract. I think by year two or year three, wh- whoever gives him that is going to regret paying him $25 million a year because he's going to slip to being sort of a back end, you know, barely in the rotation kind of guy. So um, I think I'm out on Montgomery. If, if that's the price tag, if he's willing to go shorter term, you know, maybe I would consider it, but six years, I just, I, I can't, I don't think I could stomach it. So I think I'm, I'm all set on him. I, again, I think he's probably going to go back to Texas at this point because they're going to want to try to keep as much starting pitching there as they can. So good luck to whoever gives him that deal, but I, not for me. No, thank you. Well, let's let Micah way back in. Cause we, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I just, if you're not paying Montgomery and and the Red Sox, they desperately need pitching and they don't win the Yamamoto sweepstakes, how do you fix the rotation? That's what I like. You are going to have to overpay, whether it's for Blake Snell, who we'll get to in a minute, but they're going to have to overpay. Even Sonny Gray is an overpay because, you know, you're paying the age 36 and 37 season for a guy who's thrown a ton of innings in his career. And I just, I think I'd rather have Montgomery's age 31 to say 34, where hopefully he's pretty good 
And you know, instead of Sonny Gray, 34 to 37, I just, maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but I, I really like the idea of, I mean, Montgomery, it isn't, it isn't just a one year or two year thing. He's been really, really good with St. Louis. He had a 3.11 ERA in 11 starts in 2022. And then he had a 3.42 ERA in 21 starts this year with St. Louis. So he's had a track, a track record of being really good. Um, do I think he's a $25 million pitcher a year? Probably not. But again, you ha- when you get to free agency, if this is how the Red Sox are going to operate, this is what you have to do. You have to overpay. And I-, I think paying for age 30 to 34 and then obviously probably 35, 36 is so much better than you know starting at age 34. That's just how I see it. Let me uh, throw something out here real quick. Um, let's let's play guess the pitcher. Uh, okay. So this guy um, didn't strike out a ton of people. Um, you know, not a high strikeout guy, and and even less so than Montgomery. Only a six. Uh, well, actually, a five point nine strikeout per nine, and he was a, a full point above that the last two years, but. 3.14 ERA in 2023, 3.16 ERA in 2022, 3.37 ERA in in 2021. Uh, 2020 was an off year, but you know, and also a short sample size. Uh, 3.98 ERA in 2019, and then he has a career postseason ERA. Uh, 2.08, not a ton of games, but has pitched pretty well in the, the few that he's pitched. Who do you think that is? And he's, he is a free agent this year. Is it, is it our boy Snell? Nope. No, cause Snell's strikeout rate is through the roof. Yeah, That's exactly. why I was thinking the same thing, Jason, until I, I realized the strikeout number was that low. Um, I I have no idea who could have an ERA that low, but yet not uh, strike somebody out. Is it? Uh, oh man, is it Woodruff? Is that who? It is? No, he strikes people. You're I have close. No idea. Close. He's been his teammate before. Wade Miley. Wade Miley. That's who that is. Just quietly a very <laughs> solid guy, but you know, and that's what I would describe Montgomery as. Just quietly pretty solid. But, you know, with a huge premium uh, because of that World Series run. So that's what I'm getting at here. I just I'm not going to destroy it. I'm not going to go on a Twitter tirade if it happens. But I just I I just don't like the the overall value of it. And I think with like the like we we mentioned Diavaldi, that wasn't a terrible contract if it wasn't for all the injuries. Like the when he was on the mound for the Red Sox, he was really, really good. But the problem is, Eovaldi, he came with so much injury history, whereas Montgomery doesn't. So if we're going to talk about a, a similar type premium and Montgomery is on the mound, which by all accounts, he's shown the ability to do that since he returned from Tommy John surgery. If he is like an Eovaldi on the mound, I would take that any day of the week. The problem was with Eovaldi was he missed so much time and that was what really deflated that deal. 
I, I would take Montgomery over Evaldi any any day of the week because I'm a big durability guy. So, yeah. I think we've said oh. our piece, and we're gonna we're probably gonna talk about Montgomery quite a bit, uh, you know, in the next handful of weeks. Yeah, definitely, he, he will be uh, very much discussed, and yeah, all fair points. That's that's definitely fair. Uh, so quickly moving through number five on the list because he is no longer a free agent. Um, Aaron Nola comes in at number five. They projected him to get six over one fifty. He ends up going for seven over one seventy two went back to Philly. So they were off by about half a mil. Um, you know, any just sort of quick thoughts, Terry on, on the NOLA contract and how that all went down. If let's play hypothetical here. If you could pull out your crystal ball and say, you guys aren't getting Yamamoto for some bias that he may have some preference that he has. I would say you must go get Aaron Nola. You, he's a must get, especially with Andrew Bailey coming in. Um, we talked about this prior to coming on. I think Jason and I were the ones uh, in the waiting room at the time. But he Nola didn't have a good season, and then he flipped the switch in the playoffs. And I read an article uh, on the Philly Inquirer. I forget who the writer was. One of their beat writers, basically. Um, he was able to flip the switch because they squared up his shoulders and then shortened his delivery a little bit. And it was like night and day. He was a beast basically throughout the postseason. He might have got slapped around in one start. I can't remember. But I just figure with a guy like Bailey, man, that he pitches. He The dude's a horse, like I said in the last episode. I, I, I definitely would have been extremely motivated uh, to, to bring him in uh, over everyone else except Yamamoto. So kind of a bummer that, you know, that, you know, he wanted to stay in Philly. Turned down more money as well. Uh, so and I forgot to mention earlier that we were talking about Sonny Gray. Apparently he's the new number one priority for the Atlanta Braves. So keep that on your radar. Makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Micah, your thoughts. It's the home run ball that I think really concerns me with Nola. Um, You know, his stuff is still really good, but seven years as he loses some velocity and and maybe some break on some of his pitches, what does the home run ball look like? Because 32 home runs last year. That's rough. That's rough. And if you go to the American league East, it's not going to get any easier um, if he would have done that. So uh, that's my concern, but in terms of like the entire market value, I think it's a big concern because they, they were projecting six and one fifty. he signs for seven and one seventy two, And it was reported that teams were willing to go higher than that because he took a discount. So that just shows maybe the desperation of some of these teams for, for pitchers. And what does that mean for the Jordan Montgomery deal? You know, our team's going to go up to 160, 170, 180 million, because if it goes up that high, I don't think Jordan Montgomery's worth that much, but you know, does the, the, just the, the sense of urgency from these teams, does it just completely mess up the the market and cause teams to just overpay like crazy? I don't know, but that's kind of the sense I got from the NOLA negotiations. Um, I guess we'll see from the Yamamoto ones and if anybody signs before that, but 
Um, I, I think teams are desperate and they're willing to spend for um, the top pitchers on the market. Yeah, I would say Nola wasn't my number one uh, most desired free agent. He was he was on the list. I, I you know probably a little bit further down, but when I saw him get seven over one seventy two, I kind of went, "Oof, yikes!" Okay, maybe in a way, I don't mind that uh, that he went back to Philly and Red Sox missed out on that one because I'm I don't know about that contract long term, but uh, I think you're right. I think it you know it sets the market for what we can expect. I think these guys like. The guys that are left, Montgomery, Snell, what have you, um, whatever this list is going to project, you can probably add another 20 or so million and maybe another year or two onto each one because I, I think GMs out there are willing to pay a premium for pitching this offseason, and these guys are going to cash in. So, um, you know, it, it is going to be interesting to see how the NOLA deal you know, accelerates and kind of shapes the rest of the market going forward because there's still some pretty good pitchers left on there. Um, so that that number was higher than I expected too, but I'm not I'm not sitting here kicking and screaming that the Red Sox didn't do it. You know, I, I think Philly um, they just wanted to jump on it. You know, before anyone else could could get to him, and he obviously wanted to stay. Took a little bit of a discount to do that, so um, not a bad move for them. But I'm glad it's them making that move and and not Boston. So I think that's probably where I stand on that. So moving forward to another starting pitcher who I just mentioned, he's going to get a lot of attention this offseason. coming in at number four, Blake Snell, who is projected to get seven years, 200 million. Micah, what do you think about Blake Snell? I will be irate if the Red Sox, get Blake Snell. I just, I know he's a two-time Cy Young award winner, but his profile as a pitcher, I think I would need like some type of blood pressure medication because he just has base runners all over the bases because he walks. I think his walk per nine was five. I mean, that's just, oh, that's brutal. He doesn't give up a lot of hits, but when you're walking five, five batters per nine and you're probably working deep counts because he strikes out a ton of hitters you know how is he able to get deep into games is my concern because he made last year he made 32 starts but he only threw 180 innings because he doesn't work super deep into games because of his pitch count and i just don't know if his profile ages well um seven years is a long time i just i don't think he's a fit um, maybe people would call me crazy because he's a, he's won two Cy Youngs. How many pitchers have done that? Um, but I just, I've never been a Blake Snell fan, um, ever since he, uh, he had that crazy year in Tampa and then he really took a step back and it's been like every other year he's been good, bad, good, bad. I, I'm out on Snell. Someone will give him that money. No doubt about it. I could see him getting more than 200. But I sure hope it's not the Red Sox. Terry. I am not really in favor of Blake Snell either. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm as far out there as Micah is, but Micah does make a very compelling case. There's just not a ton of innings from this guy. He's pitched more than 128 innings in a season twice, and it was both the Cy Young years. And I just feel like 
he wins the Cy Young because everyone else blew it. Somebody blew it. In 2018, the guy who blew it was Chris Sale. <laughs> he just ran out of gas in, you know, the second or third week of August and, you know, didn't didn't look good. And, uh, you know, and so and then this year uh, it, he he had a good year, but the walk rate was pretty high. And I, I just feel like we're going to be hating ourselves, you know, by year three of, of this deal. I just, and, and like Micah said, what's a 36 year old Blake Snell going to give you? I think he turns 31 pretty soon here. Um, yes. Uh, next week he turns 31. So, you know, your first reaction is okay. All right. You know, he's an ace, but then when you, when you just dive down deep into it, it's really easy to talk yourself out of bringing him in. And I'd rather go with a sunny gray type deal. Hell, I just, I just went on for two minutes straight on why I wasn't crazy about Jordan Montgomery, but I would probably prefer Montgomery over Blake snow. I, I'm with both of you guys. Yeah, like I, I was not a fan of the Montgomery deal, but if they didn't sign him and they signed Blake Snell to seven over 200 or anything north of that, I'd be pretty pissed. Um, this guy has a career 1.2 whip. He, he allows a lot of hits. He allows a lot of walks. Doesn't allow a lot of home runs, but he also has been pitching in San Diego for a couple of years. So that's, that's a huge ballpark. I think at Fenway, it'd be a little bit different. Um, and I don't like his makeup in terms of the kind of guy that he is, I don't know if he would handle Boston very well at all. Um, he, he's one of these guys that, you know, plays Twitch on the side and, you know, says a lot of stupid things on those streams. And all it would take is for one, one bad Shaughnessy column about him for him to just go off the rails. And I, I just, I don't think mentally Blake Snell could handle, uh, the Boston market. So, um, I'm all set on him. He, he will get more than 200 million. Just because of the Cy Young, he's a lefty. Um, you know, someone's going to overpay for Blake Snell. I don't want it to be the Red Sox. Um, I think he'll probably end up on a West Coast team somewhere. But because I again, I think that's just more what matches his personality. I don't think that he would do well as a big market pitcher. So I'm all set on Blake Snell. I, again, give me the Montgomery Gray combo as opposed to Blake Snell. I'd much prefer that. So. Um, curious to see where he'll end up, but it, it's going to be a bigger contract than I think people are going to want. So I'll set with that guy. So moving on to a very intriguing name who I think, I think I know how this one's going to go. Uh, coming in at number three on the top 10 list, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. They are projecting him to get nine years, $225 million. Terry, I'll start with you. How do you feel about Yamamoto? We did a deep dive on it uh, on Monday morning's episode, so be sure to check that out. But um, Garrett Cole is the highest paid MLB pitcher in history, $324 million. Let's just save the stress, go to his representatives and say, hey, we'll give you three twenty-five. He's going to be the high, highest paid of all time. Blow everybody else out of the water and call it macaroni and you know let the 
you know, the Yamamoto era begin. I also, I can't remember if I said it in the last episode, I'm typically vehemently against opt-outs. If I would have lost my you-know-what if Rafi Devers uh, got an opt-out after year four or five. I'd have been pissed. I'm all for it with Yamamoto, uh, preferably after year five. I want five years of him, but that would be his age 30 season. So I think it makes sense for both to to do that. And if he ends up being the, the next coming of Pedro Martinez, then, um, you know, he'll he'll get another fat eight to nine year contract uh, at age 30. And if we can't win a World Series with him in those first five years, I'm not going to be motivated to, to bring him back after that anyway. So I'm all for it. Uh, the other key point, I also mentioned this uh, on, on the previous episode. In terms of impact, I mean, you got to go all the way back to Pedro in, in terms of bringing in a, an ace. I mean, I, we had high expectations for David Price. I wasn't shocked when, you know, he couldn't handle the market, but... And then Chris Sale was epic at the time and gave you a couple of really epic years, including a, a World Series. But, but man, in terms of, of long term, I mean, I think you really have to go back to Pedro to get a guy of this impact at only 25 years old. Um, you know, and I'm all for it. I, I'll be. So, I'm going to be so sad if Steve Cohen gets insanely stupid, or the Dodgers just go on a mega spending spree. But um, hopefully, the Red Sox have an edge here. Like a, he's the guy. He's the guy. I agree 100% with Terry. Whatever it takes in terms of opt-outs, the contract, he's going to blow that $225 million projection out of the water. Um, you know, I remember back to when Dice K was, you know, when he first came to the Red Sox, and they would, like, zoom out of the camera, and you would see – all the flashes of the cameras and everything. It was just a, an incredible, incredible moment because they just, he was this big time pitcher and the Red Sox just, they made it a, an event essentially. And I, Yamamoto would blow that out of the water. I think real quick, didn't they follow him <clears throat> uh, to Fenway in a helicopter? Like it was like a, it was like the president of the United States was driving to Fenway and, if I'm not mistaken, that's how epic, you know, the Dice K thing was that you and, and wasn't to. was his first Fenway game against the Mariners and he faced Ichiro. Was that I, I remember it being early in the in the season. I just don't know if that was his first Fenway start or not. I can't remember because I remember they were like, this is a moment and the, the camera is flashing. I, I remember it. But, you know, I, I, I made a tweet yesterday basically saying like, if Sam Kennedy really meant that ticket prices are going to go up, this is the only way I think to really say, you know what, I'll live with ticket prices going up because I'm willing to go see this guy and pay money because he's going to put fans in the stands. There will be no $2 Red Sox Yankee ticket prices. If the Red Sox sign Yamamoto, I really believe he puts them back on the map um, he he really makes them a big market team again because they haven't been that for the last five years. 
as we kind of discussed on the last show or on the the Monday episode. Um, he's the guy, and I'm going to be really bummed if the Red Sox don't get him. But I'm also not – I would not put the Red Sox as the favorites to land him. Agree 100%. This is the guy, and they should do whatever it takes. Throw the bag at him. Offer him the 325, like Terry said. I don't care what they got to do. Get this guy in here because he, he is the best pitcher left on the market now. Um, you know, the Red Sox as a team need him. The Red Sox as a brand need him even more. And that's why, you know, you were right to mention Sam Kennedy and uh, the ownership group too. Like, it's not just Breslow shouldn't be the only one who wants this guy. Kennedy should want this guy. Henry and Werner should want this guy. The entire Red Sox as an like the Boston Red Sox as an entity should want this guy because the fans are fed up. They're, you know, they're irritated with the team. Yet the whole thing about ticket prices going up again. We 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 hear rumblings that Dave O'Brien has signed a contract extension. So it's just nothing's going right for Red Sox fans right now. They need to bring in a guy like Yamamoto. They need that excitement. They need that superstar to come in here, you know, have a guy who actually chose Boston over the Yankees, over the Dodgers, over everyone else. Like, they need a big win like that. And if they don't get them, it's like, yeah, I would love to know the reason why. Did they just fall short on the money? Did they, you know, did they match the money, but he just didn't want to come here? Like, that's because that's going to be a huge story. It's huge either way. It's massive if they get him, but it's also a huge story if he signs somewhere else. And especially if he signs somewhere else for not like a ridiculous contract, then you sit there and go, why couldn't you match that? If the Yankees get him for 225 and the Red Sox don't, then it is absolutely fair to ask the question, how did you screw that up? Like, what did they offer him that you didn't? You know, and if it was just he wanted to choose New York over Boston, okay, fine, but that's still an indictment on you. You still have guys that would rather play in New York than play here, and you've won more than New York this past 20 years. So, you know, this should be a good destination for players. So there's there's tons of storylines surrounding how the Yamamoto negotiations are going to go, whether he signs here or not. I just hope to God that they get him because, again, I they need him just for because he's a frontline starting pitcher and that's their biggest need right now. But they need him to revive the brand and revive the franchise because the last couple of years has done a lot of damage to this franchise's reputation and they, they can fix that with one big signing. And this is the guy to do it with. You know, you talk about the brand and I think it's, it just shows how frustrating the last two trade deadlines have been because, you know, the Red Sox had opportunities to improve the team, maybe even make the playoffs if they made the right moves and they did absolutely nothing and then it, you know, creates September baseball games at Fenway Park where you have nobody in the stands. And it's like if you're trying to attract a player like Yamamoto to Boston, what do you have? What do the Red Sox have to say right now? They really have nothing other than money. And well, we've won four championships, but you've been nowhere near one over the last four years, even five years in 2019. They really weren't close. But it's like they kind of put themselves, they dug themselves a hole. And if if Yamamoto says, I just wasn't interested, that's a reflection of the last five years. And that's it's not just Heimblum, 
it, it's it's the ownership group and the fact of the little the, the lack of effort that they've put in over the last five years, and they would have no one to blame but themselves. That's an interesting point because, in a way, y- you might have fired Bloom a year too late, and just in terms of the Yamamoto thing. And and there, being realistic, there was no way under the sun he was getting fired after twenty twenty two, but and, and I didn't even want that. Believe it or not, I wasn't calling for it at that time. It wasn't until you know mid winter last year when I was like, okay, you know, but so that that's the other thing, you know that that's paramount. Like what what Micah said, we were runner up on so many players, Jose Abreu. Zach Eflin, and I didn't want Eflin, but for the record, we were still runner up on him. Um, But yeah, so I I just, I don't want to, I want to be first. I want, I want players to be like, man, it's so special playing in Boston. And and that's where I want to spend the big part of my career. And let me give this take now. I was going to save it for when we get to him here. But look at this is what makes me nervous. This is what makes me so nervous. They have these these biases or these preferences, whether it's East Coast, West Coast. I love this franchise. I like that franchise. When Otani picked the Angels, he could he was getting the major league minimum. He could have played for any team. Any team would have signed him. Everybody wanted him. And so we're like, well, you know, the, the Dodgers make the most sense, you know, maybe the Mariners, but who knows, you know, Red Sox, Yankees, we got some Japanese history. And then he picks the angels. He picked the angels. That's like, that's like, okay, do you want to marry Taylor Swift or do you want to marry Britney Spears? One of them's not going to end well. One of them's going to end very badly. And, and that's the marriage he picked. I guarantee you. Maybe if he doesn't realize it at this moment, but maybe 10, 20 years from now, Shohei Otani is going to look back and be like, man, I wasted five or six years with a trash. I could have been an October god if I would have just picked another team. And so the fact that Shohei picked the Angels, it just makes me so nervous with this Yamamoto thing. Who's he going to pick? Like, why does he think he likes the team that he thinks he likes? So I just hope that we have an edge. I I know I, I've been talking about trading Yoshida and, and that I would do it if the opportunity was there. But on the flip side, hopefully a guy like Yoshida can can help get, you know, Yamamoto to Boston. And we have the richest history of Japanese pitching of any team. Has any Japanese pitcher ever won a ring with another team? I I don't. Darvish didn't so far. Uh, came close with the Dodgers one year, but um, I I don't I don't know. Maybe a reliever, maybe a reliever somewhere might have done it. But we, we've had four Japanese pitchers in the World Series era come over and win rings and, and be a huge part of it. Okajima, you know, was the eighth inning guy in, in 2007 behind Papelbon. Um, Uihara in 2013. Uh, Dice K again, 2007. And I know a lot of people poo-poo that, but he was pretty good that year. And he drove in two runs. I don't know how long it took Mookie Betts to get a postseason RBI, but it only took Dice K one at bat. And he drove in two. He drove in two. Um, 
And then uh, who am I forgetting? Koji Okajima. Tazawa? Tazawa. Tazawa, yes. Yes, he was a very good, uh, you know, eighth inning guy in 2013, especially in the Tiger series. Whenever Miggy was coming up, he was the guy. They're like, we're saving Tazawa for Miggy. And he got him out. So, so hopefully that uh, gives us an edge. But then on the other hand, the other voice in my head are saying he, he might not want Boston because everybody else chose Boston. So it's hard to not be a head case here. Yeah, it's it's like it's going to be the ultimate watch. And uh, I just it'd be so nice for the Red Sox to be first on something for a change as opposed to just chasing the rest of the league. So I hope to God he chooses us, but they've got to they've got to throw the bag at him, too. So it goes both ways. So we'll see if they're willing to do that. So we're down to our final two of the top 10 here. And coming in at number two is Cody Bellinger coming off a huge year with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, former MVP kind of rejuvenated his career. They're projecting him to get 12 years, $264 million on the open market. Micah, your thoughts on Cody Bellinger? It's strange to see a player leave the Dodgers and rediscover his greatness. But that's what he did in Chicago. Um, I watched a video. MLB Network did a breakdown of his swing um, prior to last year. And he had, do you remember when, uh, I think it was in the playoffs, he like did a, like a fist bump to somebody and he like hurt his shoulder. Um, and they showed his swing before that injury and then after that injury. And his swing was drastically different. He just did not have the bat speed, and his swing path was different. And they showed him in spring training last year, and the swing path was very similar to the swing path when he won his MVP. And sure enough, last year he had an incredible year with the Cubs. Um, so I do believe he has figured it out, and I believe he's going to be the player that he was with the Cubs last year uh, moving forward. Now, I'm going to pump the brakes because 12 years – is crazy. I would not do that. Um, do I think someone might give him that? Sure. I mean, no one really thought Trey Turner was going to get the, that that many years with the Phillies. So I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I, I wouldn't go anywhere near that. As for the Red Sox, he's a left-handed bat. That doesn't really help the Red Sox. Um, you know, he can play first, but the Red Sox have Ca uh, Casas there. So, I don't, he's not a fit for the Red Sox, but I think he's a really exciting player. I think he's a really good player. Um, but 12 years, I, I would go as high as maybe eight, eight years maybe. But I think that would be my max if I was a team looking to try to, to persuade him to come, come join the team. Terry. I don't care if he magically figured out, you know, there was a flaw in his swing and rediscovered it or not. Like the the drop he had was scary. And the fact that it took him this long to figure it out, you know, almost five years is scary. And, you know, it, it looked like he had Andrew Benintendi syndrome. All of a sudden, they both came up at about the same time and they both took nosedives at about the same time. And just making a massive commitment to him just i would not do it i mean prior to coming into this 2023 season he's just trying to hang on he's just trying to be relevant you know and 
and you know find a pathway to to continue his career and fortunately for him he did and i'm not rooting against him i've never had a problem with bellinger obviously rooted against him in 2018 because you know that's when we faced him in the world series but um and he you know if you're mad at the astros for the scandal he was one of the most outspoken uh players um against the astros so um, so I'm rooting for Bellinger and if he gets a big deal, more power to him, but I, I don't want to give him that deal. And like Mike, I said, he's a lefty. That's all we have is lefties. Uh, Trevor story is your only bona fide right-hand power bat. And, uh, you know, but he, he's a, he's a head case too, just like Bellinger. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm out on Bellinger. Yeah, well, you can say you're rooting for him now until he signs that deal with the Yankees. And then I think... Then I hate his guts. I hate his guts. Which is what I fear, because I think that's where he's going. He could. Um, I I, I think he's he's kind of like a a hot shot, likes the big city life kind of guy. So, And the Yankees are desperate, as you mentioned before. Cashman's the most desperate GM out there right now. Um, So I, I agree, giving 12 years... To that guy after the drop off he had that didn't just last one season it was it was a couple of years where he really kind of lost himself i mean yeah you have one more you have one good bounce back year and now you you, you deserve a 12-year contract i don't think so I, and i get what he's trying to do he's trying to do what you know bogarts and trey turner did last year you know oh well, they were premium position or players at their position they got 11 12 years the difference is bogarts and turner have been consistent throughout their careers up until that point. Bellinger can't make that case. Now, look, when he's playing like he did this past season, he's the perfect combination of power, hits for average, and plays great defense in the outfield. So, yeah, he seems like he's worth it. But um, certainly, like you guys said, not a fit for the Red Sox. The last thing they need is another left-handed bat to pour a lot of money into. I just hope he doesn't go to New York because he'll hit 60 home runs in that stupid stadium if he goes there. And I don't know, the hope would be, you know, not to sandbag him too much, but the hope would be if he does sign with New York that it turns into Ellsbury 2.0. But I think this guy's in a little bit better shape than Ellsbury was when he got there. And I just feel like he could be a menace for the Red Sox if he goes to New York. So I'm hoping he signs with like the Giants or someone else who has a, a you know, a, a right field that he wants to to tackle that isn't in the AL East. But all set with that contract. Whoever wants to give Cody Bellinger 12 years, good luck. I hope he doesn't have another drop-off again. I, I wouldn't yikes. rule out going back to the Cubs, though. I, I think he likes it there. I think they like him. And for some reason, players love playing there. So I, I would say, you know, Cubs, Yankees, and, and probably the Giants. I think that was an excellent point because that's another GM that's, like, not in a good spot right now. Um, so, you know, they're under a lot of pressure out there to finally attract a big star and hopefully get back to some semblance of what they were, you know, a little over a decade ago. Yeah, absolutely. Like any other, could stuff. you imagine him? Could you imagine him going to the Yankees though? And like, he's an injury prone player and you just, you, you add him to the list of Stanton judge Rodon, like, I mean, the, the amount of money that they would have tied up into four or five players would be wild. Um, could I see it working out there? Absolutely. But 
you could say that about all of their players. It can work out. Stanton can be great. Rodon can be great. But what are the odds of that actually happening? And I just, I feel like this is a move that would be like right up their alley with, you know, what Cashman has done over the last half decade or so of just signing super, super suspicious injury prone players. Real quick, since we're on the Yankees, name a free agent outfielder they signed. What was the last good one? And let's not count Judge because he was homegrown and he had been there. And Stanton doesn't count because that was a trade. So free agents. When was the last really good outfielder they Cashman brought in? Hideki Matsui. That has to be it. And yeah, it would be Matsui. In two thousand nine. And and if it's not him, it's Johnny Damon in two thousand five. So that, that's how far you have to go back. The fact that Brian Cashman can't solve an outfield is just mind boggling to me. Yeah. And and again, like I could totally see him just out of desperation. Yep, sure. Give give me Golden Bellinger, you know, and, and throwing that money at him. But oof, geez, I don't know. There's a lot of trust issues I have with that player. So, again, I'm glad to let uh, somebody else have that be their headache. So, wrapping up here with the number one free agent left on the board. You all know who it is. It is Shohei Otani. And they are projecting Otani to get 12 years, $528 million. Terry, I'll start with you. Let's go to Otani. I want to swear right now, but I won't. Um, I actually had a plan where I was going to tell the audience to mute their radio if they had kids in the car, but I, I won't. Um, I, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not giving a guy 500 something million dollars. E- even, even if we miss on, on Yamamoto, I'm still not doing it. Uh, Otani is probably a three to $350 million bat. You know, he's a Bryce Harper level bat, I would say, probably is going to show up uh, in the in the month of October if he's smart enough to sign with a team that actually plays in the month of October. Um, But the the pitching is just an absolute wild card. It's just it's a mystery. Uh, It took him two and a half full seasons of pitching to blow out his elbow again. So if you sign him to a, to a 10 year deal or 12 year deal, he's on pace to have four more Tommy Johns. I'm not exaggerating. That's like, that's the rate, you know, that, that he blows out his elbow. I I just, I don't see it. I've said on an earlier episode, I I think right after the season ended, because it's impossible to not talk about Otani every couple of shows. Um, you know, if I'm a team that signs him, uh, you know, obviously his bat and I'd probably make him a closer. I'd make him a reliever. Cause I, I think that's the best way to preserve that elbow, but you're not, he's not a $200 million reliever in my opinion. I just, I want no part of it. You know, I, I know he's great for the brand, you know, people call him a unicorn and, and all that, but if Mike Trout is not worth the $425 million, and I didn't think that was even a bad contract at the time. I'm like, if anybody's going to get that deal, it's going to be Mike Trout. But has he been worth it? 
absolutely not. He can't even stay on the field anymore. And if Mike Trout is not worth $425 million, nobody is. Nobody is, including Juan Soto, who's probably going to get north of that. Um, so I'm all out on Otani, and some of the audience is probably going to be mad at me, but I would much rather just go get a decent bat. I, th- I think we got uh, you know a good amount of offense already. And, um, you know, focus on your starting rotation on, on guys that will pitch for at least the next five to seven years. Micah, how about you? So many thoughts. Um, I disagree with Terry in that, uh, I think, I think Otani is worth way more money than Mike Trout is. Um, I just think Otani's the greatest player we've ever seen. He's insane um but i would not give him anywhere near that type of money um i I would definitely pay 350 million even 400 million for the bat because i think the bat is elite um i could only imagine what he would do at fenway park with the monster it would just be incredible um you know it's interesting because we were talking about well would you give 350 million dollars to otani's bat yeah but we were also mentioning what would Mariano Rivera get? You know, would he get two hundred million dollars? Well, if Otani was a closer for the next ten years, would you give him two hundred million dollars? Probably, probably. So if you add up what he could do, he probably does come out around five hundred million dollars, honestly, which is insane. But I, the Red Sox just—we've been talking for so long about the fact that they have no durability in their rotation, and Otani is anti-durability and the Red Sox need pitching. So if you're going to spend 500 and whatever million dollars, you better solve the pitching problem. And for 2024, Otani doesn't solve that at all. And moving forward, he might solve it. He might solve it for a year or two or three years or four years, but Otani is not a long-term solution in terms of the pitching problem. Um, there was a lot of red flags at the end of the year. He was cramping, he was getting pulled from starts. And I I just feel like there was a a bunch of kind of precursors that kind of led to him having another Tommy John. I wasn't surprised. So I love watching him. He would be awesome to follow and, and talk about on a, on a daily basis, but $524 million or whatever the number is, that is that's insane. Go get Yamamoto and go get Montgomery for less than that. And you have two pitchers there and that's better than Otani in terms of fixing the pitching problem. So that's where my mind's at. I'm not going to hate on Otani, but I just, that's so much money for one player. Yeah. He's Otani is a unicorn, but he's not, he's not Superman. He's not invincible. And we've seen that now. And you know, I'd even say, like, if it was just – if this was his first TJ surgery, I'd sort of go, well, okay. It's bound to happen at some point. It happens to pretty much every pitcher these days. The fact that it's his second, though, and like Terry said, it only took him two and a half years of pitching in the big leagues for it to happen. Huge, huge concern for when you're talking about a contract of that length and that much money. I just – and yeah, it, your biggest problem for, if you're the Red Sox is pitching. Your offense is okay. 
I mean, you know, you could certainly add to it. Your offense can always be better, but you know, Otani doesn't fix your pitching problem, not in the short term. And then even in the long term, do you trust him? Or is it just, are you, are you paying for, you know, a right-handed version of Chris sale all over again? And look how frustrating that contract's been towards the end. So I don't want to go through that again. And that's not to say that it can't happen with Yamamoto. You might sign him and he might need Tommy John a year in or, you know, whatever, any of these guys, it, it can happen to any pitcher, but with Otani, it's just happening a little too much for, for my comfort zone. So um, 500 plus million dollars is just, it's so, it's so much. And I know what a lot of fans will say, well, what do you care? It's not your money, right? It's, you know, you're not the one paying it. The Red Sox are well, sure. But if that contract hampers them from doing other things in the future, because, you know, whatever, it puts them over the tax or for whatever reason, then it does become a problem. So um, I don't know what kind of deal he's going to end up with. There's been a lot of different speculation about, well, does he take like a three or a four year deal so that he can reestablish himself as a pitcher and then hit the open market again? Or does he just go all in? Does he push all his chips on the table and try and get, as much money in as many years as he can and just be done with it. I have no idea. Um, but if he does get 12 over 528, I don't think I want it to be with Boston. I, I think I'd rather have another team bite that bullet and take the chance on it. And he's a phenomenal player. I hope that he comes back healthy as long as he doesn't sign with the Yankees. I hope he comes back healthy and, you know, continues to dominate again. But I just, I don't want the Red Sox taking that plunge. Again, I, Micah, you said it, I think, right? It's like, go get Yamamoto and another pitcher and spend, you know, don't spend $500 million, but spend, like, a lot of money, but get multiple pieces for your, your rotation and your pitching staff. Don't just, don't go all in on one guy. It's, it's not what they need right now. So you guys have essentially touched on some of the stuff here. Um, Micah, you said in a show, I think in September sometime, you, you said the the data is not good for guys that have two Tommy Johns. Now there are exceptions to that. Nathan Avaldi came back and, you know, plenty of velocity. He did have the bone chips thing, which was a, a, a bit of a setback, but, um, but yeah. So who knows what he's going to be like. And if you're signing him for 12 years, guess what? There will be a third Tommy John. Like if you think I'm being facetious here, He's got he, this, this current one won't be his last one. I promise you that he's going to have one more. Um, and then how much of a, a pain in the ass is he going to be when it comes to weird stuff? I mean, when he came over his first season, he told the media that he wanted the crowd to be a little quieter when he, when he went up to the batter's box, he said that. And then look at his start at Fenway. It was a bad weather day and because he wanted to, he he got the grounds crew, like all the king's horses and all the king's men ran to the mound to make it nicey nice for, you know, so Shohei could pitch off of it, uh, you know, on that cold spring day that he ended up pitching. Um, so what kind of crap are we going to have to accommodate? I just, I don't like it. And as Jason was alluding to, you sign him the next Yamamoto or the next stud pitcher that becomes a free agent at age 27, 28, that's going to command 300 million. You're not getting them. <laughs> You're not getting them. Cause you got Shohei. That's what's going to happen. 
It's all about balance. I'm never, and that's what I mean, where if Mike Trout isn't worth the money, if he can't, if he can't be 40% of the reason you guys get into the playoffs, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. You know, the angels are at a point where there's a lot of, there's a lot of trout to the Dodgers talk going on right now on social media. The angels are eating money. (laughs) They're going to eat some of that money. He's owed $259 million uh, on that $425 he signed. And he has spinal stenosis. And he seems to be playing fine. But that's what ended David Wright's career with the Mets. So who knows if a, if a flare-up doesn't happen in, in two or three years. Uh, you know, so I'm just, I'm not out on, I mean, I am out on, on Otani and... Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, it slipped. I lost it. <laughs> Mike, any other thoughts? Yeah. You know, Terry, you mentioned the the two Tommy Johns. And it's like, well, you could say, well, how many people have had two Tommy Johns? And it's like, well, how many people don't we hear about that have had two Tommy Johns that never made it back? Like they don't report on those players really, you know, but there are so many people who have done that, but how many people have come back from three Tommy Johns? I I don't know of one, honestly. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but I cannot think of one current pitcher that has come back from three Tommy Johns. Can anyone think of one? I... I know there's at least one and and it wasn't good. I forget who it was though. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, if you sign him to a 12-year deal, I obviously he's not pitching in year 1, but you still have 11 years where he can pitch. He's one 100-mile-an-hour fastball away from blowing his elbow out again and he's never going to pitch again in his life. And then he's just a 524 million dollar bat. And I, I don't want to look at it that way, but I think you have to look at it that way. He's doing something that no one has ever done. He's doing two things, and he's just draining his body. And I, I, I can appreciate the effort and what he's doing for the game of baseball, but him playing two positions like he does, you can't tell me that doesn't contribute to you know fatigue and, and arm injuries. It, it just it does. And I don't want to see the Red Sox pay $524 million for a bat. And then the next time, like you said, Terry, and you said it, Jason, the next big free agent pitcher comes around and the Red Sox, they're looking at Wade Miley to to fix the rotation because they can't afford it. And it's not just a two or three year window where you're going to be, well, we can't afford it. It's 12 years. years (laughs) years <laughs> that's a long time i'm gonna be 40 by the time he'll be done with this contract like holy crap that's a long time i don't want to see the red sox hindered until i'm like 45 years old yeah and the only guy that i found who came back from after three tommy john surgeries was johnny venters who was a left-handed reliever and he very very briefly came back he pitched like a couple of games and that was it um Bigger name, Jason Isringhausen, the third one, ended his career. He never came back from it. And he was older at the time. But, again, if Otani gets a third Tommy John, it may happen when he's in his mid to late 30s as part of that contract. And for Isringhausen, that was it. Ended his career. So, 
you know, that is a very real concern if, if for any team that's thinking about assigning Otani to that kind of deal. And I just want to reiterate something. This is going to sound a little weird coming from me who, you know, wanted to fire Bloom for the last 365 days. But um, I like Time Bloom's vision. I just think he very, very poorly executed it. I want a team that's streamlined, that's balanced. I mean, look at that Houston Astros team. How many bad contracts have they signed since the start of the dynasty? Go back to 2015. How many bad contracts were you like, oh, that's ugly? They might have made a bad trade here or there, but w- which one? They uh, they signed a, a first baseman after, like I feel like, a couple months. Singleton, I think his name was. He was a, a young prospect. And then I feel like he never became anything. But it was still like a, a five-year, twenty-five million dollar deal. Like it was not anything oh, absurd. No, that, I you wouldn't know, even. But it, yeah, it wasn't a good deal. But like I can't think of anything, you know, seventy-five plus million dollars that was bad. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like they haven't whiffed. They've been streamlined, and that's why they've been sustainable. Uh, and then the Braves, very similarly. I mean, they've hit on everything. You know, Matt Olson, I mean, it looked like a lot at the time. I wasn't overly pessimistic, but it's been amazing, you know, and, and I think it will age well. And they got Acuna. How the hell they talked him into that deal for eight to 10 years with the options? It's just, you know, they're really smart. I, I think the, the Braves could have done more, especially with their rotation, but they're more of a mid-market team. And their their pitching program wasn't quite as revolutionary as, as apparently what the Astros were. And the Astros were elite um, when it came to international scouting. Um, so, you know, they've had a big edge there. But those are two teams that are streamlined. You know, I, I always want to be a top five or six payroll because we're a big market team. But I don't want to be blowing past it, you know every third or fourth year. And it just seems like we've had so many contracts that were remorseful. You know, I couldn't wait for the Hanley Ramirez contract to end. And mercifully, they DFA'd him out of nowhere in 2018. And, you know, we're we're counting down the, the Chris Sale, the days where we're not paying $30 million a year for him. And, and, and the Sandoval contract was painful. And the Pedroia extension was painful. You know, we didn't get anything on the back three or four years of their deals. I'm so tired of that. I I dream of the day where we have a contract that doesn't piss me off, where I'm like, uh, where I'm not like, okay, at least that guy can be serviceable. That's what I want to be. And, you know, that was Bloom's vision, but he just couldn't figure it out with pitching. And then you heard reports of like deep remorse after the story signing and second guessing the Yoshida signing. And that was a dude who never should have been anywhere near uh, a front office and uh, for at least a big market team. So, uh, you know, so that's kind of what I have in mind. But as I pointed out with Yamamoto, I'm willing to take the splash there because he's only 25. After next year, the only big money you have on the books is Devers, really. You're going to have three more years of Yoshida and I think I'm forgetting one more. Oh, Trevor Story will have uh, three more years as well. So that's not super long term, you know. So 
we can make a couple of big splashes in the next few years, but I I, I want to be smart about it. I, I think a 25-year-old Yamamoto is smart. Uh, you know, Otani's, what, 29 maybe? I, I just want no part of it. Yeah, definitely want them to spend, but spend wisely. Don't don't turn into the Yankees where you have just your, your roster is littered with awful contracts. That that wouldn't do anybody any good. So unfortunately, I think Otani would fall into that category in the long term. So how long do you think this episode is? Oh, we're going on two hours. No, not quite. Uh, One hour hour and 38 minutes. That's about your one minute off. But yes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's pretty close to the mark. Yeah. Well, there was there was a lot with with those. I mean, get to the top 10. You know, those are the guys that uh, garner a lot of discussion. So it's bound to happen. But that will do it for us. So that is all. Uh, all 50 free agents we've covered. Some of them have already signed other places, but there's a lot of big names still out there and winter meetings are about a week away or so. So uh, I think some, some moves are going to start happening. And when anything does happen, Red Sox related or whatever, we will be here. So keep your eyes out for any new episodes coming in, any breaking news, whatever we will have you guys covered. But until then, everyone have a great week, have a nice holiday. And we will talk to everyone later. Take care.